Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 this morning? 1 John chapter 2, go there. I hope you brought your Bible. I don't ask you that every Sunday. I don't say that every Sunday, but I want you to know you have to bring your Bible. I hope you brought your Bible today. If you didn't bring a Bible, I want you to know if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the information desk. You're free to grab one of those and and um, you, you can even keep one of those if you need a Bible. We want you to have a Bible. We want you to have a copy of God's Word so that you know what God is speaking to you as we gather together to study God's Word each and every Sunday. I was convicted by that thought afresh recently listening to a very prominent and well-known preacher, um, a very prominent and well-known spiritual leader who uh, preached to his congregation and um, and I, I uh, in fact we were listening to it uh, you listen to a podcast you ever do that you listen to a sermon podcast we do that while we're traveling traveling sometimes and I don't I don't get to hear too many people preach because I'm usually the one doing the preaching. So it's nice to listen to a sermon podcast every once in a while. We were listening to a sermon podcast while traveling, and, um, and the fellow preaching, very well-known man who, who um, we were, I was interested to hear from, surprised me when he spent about 30 minutes talking about himself and his problems and, and the, how he didn't feel like preaching that day and how he wished he hadn't come, and, and yet he was supposed to be there. And so he's preaching, I thought, wow, how genuine and honest, and, and yet how... Um, empty of scripture and I don't ever want to be guilty of that we should not uh, I come here like you I come here with my own problems and challenges and sometimes you hear about those but but I want to be really careful to make uh, make it clear that we come to hear from God you didn't come to hear me you you didn't come to hear me right uh, you came to hear from God and I want to take you to the scriptures so let's go to the word that's why I ever, every time I say open your Bibles and go with me too wherever we're at and I want you to bring your Bibles because you need God's word you don't need to hear what I have to say you, you need to hear God speak to you and I'm here to just kind of point the way to be a lighthouse to be a, a big beaming light I hope I, hopefully I can be a, a light uh, that points to Jesus and points to the truth of God's word and so we go there together this morning in 1 John chapter 2. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we were here in 1 John and chapter 2. And I want to kind of give you a, a little bit of review so that we know where we've been, kind of a reminder. It's an important reminder. That's why I'm going to take some time this morning to review where we've been because it's important to kind of uh, refresh ourselves where, where we are here because what we're going to hear this morning is a very important uh, I trust you understand that what you hear every Sunday morning from the pages of Scripture is very important, and no less true this Sunday. Our last time here together in 1 John, we saw in verses 7 and 8 a command that is given some very powerful meaning for believers in Jesus because it is accompanied by an example. Isn't it good to have an example to follow when you need to learn something? Isn't it good, especially when you open the Bible and you see a command and then you see it connected to an example? So you know how to apply what you're being taught? Uh, my boys and I have learned to do, uh, we're not mechanics, but we have, my boys and I have learned car repair because there's this thing called YouTube. Isn't YouTube great? And, and mechanics everywhere are like cringing, like you're, you know, <laughs> stealing word from me. And we're doing this stuff on ourselves because our cars break down every once in a while. And 
um, a while back, it's probably, probably been a year ago now, we have a car that had uh, the, the windshield washer pump quit working so we couldn't clear the windshield when it got dirty. And Nicholas is our mechanic who about six or seven years ago started to take the wrench out of my hand while I was trying to work on a car. And he was like, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. I was like, whoa, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's a natural. And so Nicholas said, can I, t- can I tear into that and fix that washer pump in the, in the tank in that pump? And I said, sure, no problem. Uh, I came home from lunch. I came home from the study one day at l- uh, lunchtime, and the front of the car was in the yard. Uh, evidently, the pump is in the tank, and the tank is behind the driver's side or the passenger side wheel in this wraparound uh, the fiberglass encasement that goes around the bumper and around the front of the car and the front of the car is literally in the yard and I'm going what are you doing he says I just watched a YouTube video and this is what you have to do to replace the pump in the washer bottle I said you've got to be kidding me that's what you you sure you couldn't reach up and he goes no you can't reach up in there and do it you've got to take this you got to go do this and um it's still it's the car still runs and and uh, it still works and the washer pump works and everything he he learned from watching a video on youtube and we together i helped him put the car back together later that day because we had to run all over town and find these little plastic things that that broke when because they were like what 16 years old on our car and you start taking these things apart and they fall off and break and so we were driving around finding the parts to put the front of the car back on and it's amazing what you can learn. We're still doing that, learning all kinds of neat things about how to fix our cars. It's great because you've got instructions. If we didn't have YouTube, we would be broke. <laughs> we would take all of our broken down cars and, and uh, have to pay to have somebody else do that work for us. John points to the command in Scripture. And then he points to the example that we have to follow. I'm so thankful for an example. I hope you are too. The, the old command. You remember this last time we talked about the old command here in, in 1 John chapter 2? The old command that we've had from the beginning is love one another. That's the old command that we've had from the beginning. And that we, and that we hear when we first trust in Christ and we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we, we learn that we're supposed to love one another. John points to this also in, in 2 John Verse 5, we're studying in 1 John chapter 2, but if you turn a f- couple pages, go look at 2 John, and there's only one chapter there, verse 5 in 2 John, where he also talks about it there. Now I ask you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. Not as though I am writing you a new commandment. He's talking about the old commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning. Here it is, that we love one another. And John says here in 1 John about this old commandment to love one another in verse 8. Back, You can go back now to 1 John chapter 2, back in verse 8. He says about this old commandment to love one another here in verse 8 of 1 John 2, that it is also a new commandment. We come to something like that and we go, wait a minute, you're confusing me. It's an old commandment, it's a new commandment. Which one is it? It's both. <laughs> it's both. The old commandment to love one another in verse 8 of 1 John 2 is also a new commandment. And how is it new? How is it new? How does that work? It is made new by the example of Jesus Christ. There's the example. Here's the command. Love one another. Here's the example. Jesus. Remember what I said last time? You learn to love 
by learning to love like Jesus loves. We hear of this old commandment made new in Jesus' words in John chapter 13 and verse 34 where he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just, here's the example, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So the old commandment, to love one another, is made new. Love one another just as I have loved you. It's made new with an example to follow. So we're to learn to love one another, and we have the example of Jesus Christ to follow. There is no finer example than the example of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find one on YouTube that matches this. So how is this to work out in the life of a believer in and a follower of Jesus? How do we love one another even as Jesus loves us? How do we learn this? This means that you learn to love like Jesus loves. But for us, this is going to feel challenging. This is not going to feel easy. That's why I keep using that word learn. (laughs) It takes some time to learn things that are hard and challenging, doesn't it? This is not going to feel easy. And that's because it's not about loving others when you feel like it. If we're going to learn to love like Jesus, we need to get past this feelings aspect of of how we classify love. We think of love as a feeling. We think in terms like this because I want to feel like I love a person before I go do acts of love. And yet Jesus says it's just the opposite. While you were my enemies, I loved you. And we have Jesus' example who went to the cross to die for his enemies so that those who put their faith in him would be saved and forgiven, cleansed and made new. This is not going to feel easy. It's going to take some practice. It's going to take effort on our part. It's about loving other people because of your love for Jesus. And more importantly, because of his love for you. And it's about your desire to obey and please the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. And that means that your love for people will at times have to be a choice far more than a feeling. This means that you will need to choose to love those who persecute you for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches you that you will have to choose to love people you think don't deserve your love. You will have to choose to love people who don't love you. You will even need to choose to love people who consider you to be their enemy if you're following the example of Jesus. No matter how others treat you, if you love Jesus, you will be seeking to learn to love them because that's how Jesus loves you. In spite of themselves, in spite of yourself, Jesus loves you. He went to the cross for you in spite of your sinfulness and my sinfulness. He loves us and gives himself for us. He gave himself for us. He died and was buried and then rose from the dead 
to prove that He can save us from our sins. His sinless sacrifice is completely sufficient. That's what we rejoice in this morning, isn't it? That's what we rejoice in as we sing the songs that we sing. He will hold me fast. How is that possible? Because He is the sinless Savior who died for us and rose from the dead and He will keep us secure in Him as we trust in Him, not in ourselves. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead in trespasses and sins and Jesus loved us anyway. We were His enemies and He loved us anyway. In Ephesians 2, Paul makes this clear that Jesus loves sinners like us even though we bring no merit of our own. No personal accomplishment of our own earns His forgiveness. Before Jesus gives us new life through faith in Him, before we are born again, we are dead. How's that? How are we dead? The Bible says so. Listen to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, you know those are my two favorite words in the Bible, right? Have I said that before? But God. Don't you love those words? I love those words. I just want to remind you. But God, being rich in mercy, remember we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were, here it is again, dead in our trespasses, made us alive made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Is your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? By grace, you have been saved. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. What joy awaits the believer in Jesus Christ. What joy awaits us when we realize We do not, we cannot save ourselves. And we do not have to. We cannot earn God's forgiveness. We don't have to. But Jesus can, and Jesus does. When we trust in Him, He has made the way for our salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for cleansing. We didn't make ourselves alive A dead man can't raise himself from the dead. We could not. Only Jesus gives us new life. And then Jesus, the word of life, lives through us when we obey his written word. You need to hear that. We need to obey. It's not just about God's grace and mercy. It's plentiful. God's grace and mercy is plentiful, but he calls his children to obedience. And as we obey, He lives through us. That's what walking in the light is. It's obedience to God after He saves us from our sins. Walking in obedience to God is really only possible with the Holy Spirit at work in us. Do we understand that? 
If you want to be obedient to God, you see in His Word command, the commands of Scripture. You might read the Bible as, even as an unbeliever and say, well, I want to do these things. You need the power of Christ in you, and until you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you will not have His help to be obedient to the commands of Scripture. Your first act of obedience is a submission to Him, a repentance of sin, and a trust in Jesus Christ. And His power is only possible with His Holy Spirit at work in the life of the believer. And He will be working in you when you are walking in the light, when you're yielding, yielding to and obeying the Bible. He will work in you. He will help you. He will help you face the hardships that you face and the trials that you face in this life. This is why John can say in verse 8 that for believers in Jesus, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. For believers, the veil has been lifted and the Holy Spirit takes the Word as you read it and obey it and illuminates and helps you and strengthens you and gives you wisdom for living and wisdom for relationships People who walk in the light, people who believe in Jesus and obey the Bible have the light of truth shining in and through their life, and they will be learning also to love the way Jesus loves. Now we come to verses 9 through 11. That was just a review. Just to kind of get us up to speed here as we come to verses 9 through 11. Now we come to verses 9 through 11, and we're going to see John bring things a lot closer to home as if it wasn't already close to home. It's going to get even closer to home. I think you'll see it. In verses 9 through 11, John continues with the theme of walking in the light. And he gives us the standard by which we can be assured of whether we are true followers of Christ. Whether we are true possessors of salvation or whether we are only professors of salvation. You understand the difference? It's possible that we could say, I I believe, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible, and yet we do not possess Christ. We do not possess true faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a real test here for us, a very clear test This is critically important because there's an eternity of difference between being a possessor of new life in Jesus Christ and being a professor of new life in Christ. And so we have an example of Jesus to follow, and John shows us we have the standard by which to test ourselves. So let's look at how John puts it in 1 John chapter 2. Go with me to verses 9 through 11, and we're going to see here the standard by which we must judge ourselves. There is a powerful evidence here that will testify on our behalf or against us as we examine our own lives. Look again, verses 9 through 11, and I'll read from the English Standard Version. Whoever says he is in the light, says verse 9, whoever says he is in the light, and hates his brother is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We ought to be thinking about our own lives right here. We ought to be thinking about our own life, the the way that we live. What does the evidence suggest for or against whether you are a true believer in and follower of Jesus Christ? There are two kinds of evidence presented here, and this is an either-or situation. You are either in the light or you are in the darkness. And this this John challenges us with this here. He, he brings us to light, so to speak, to show us whether we're in the light or whether we're in the darkness. There is no in-between when it comes to being a believer in and follower of Jesus. First, first I want to deal with the, the identifying characteristic of the person who is not in the light. The person who could be a professor of being in the light, but is not. They might say they're a believer in Jesus. They may even come to church. It's possible for us to be here today and not be believers in Jesus Christ, but the evidence tells them that they are only professors of faith in Jesus. What is that evidence? What's the identifying characteristic? The Bible says, and we see it before us in verses 9 through 11, the Bible says it's hate. That's a powerful thought, and we need to be careful we don't dismiss this. Because some of us might be saying, or maybe most of us might be saying, well, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate. When John speaks of a person's brother in this passage, he's speaking of people in the church. People who identify themselves as part of the church. And it's possible to identify yourself as being part of God's church and not actually be a believer in Jesus. To say, well, I go to such and such church. I go to First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. That's, that's the church I go to. It doesn't mean you're a believer. It doesn't mean you've truly repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for your salvation. It's possible to identify yourself as being a part of the church and not actually be a true follower of Jesus. And what John is showing us here is that this identifying characteristic is this. If there are people in the church that you refuse to love. John says of the person who hates, if you refuse to love, if you can, if you can say, you know what, there's certain people that I just have just, I've just decided I'm going to ignore them. If there are people in the church you refuse to love, John says, if you hate a person, another person in the church, it's as if you are blind. That's some serious stuff here. It's as if you are blind. He's not talking about a person you've gotten out of sorts with 
and you're seeking to make things right. He's talking about if there are people in the church with whom you refuse to make things right. So we should be taking notes here, right? We should be taking a close look at our own lives. We should examine ourselves. This is absolutely necessary. This is healthy. It's a healthy practice for anyone who says they're a believer in Jesus to take account of themselves before God's Word, before the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? So while we're examining ourselves, let's think about why why a person hates this person that John speaks of. Look at verse 9 again. Whoever says, look at verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates. Now this is ongoing. This is continuous. This is a person who says, I'm just, I give up. I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm just going to ignore that person or this problem. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And then verse 11, look again at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now why does this person hate? We're given the reasons here. Why does this person hate? They hate because they're still in the darkness, spiritual darkness. And being in darkness, they don't know where they're going. Do you know where you're going when you're in the dark? No, you don't. You, you, you need a light. They're blinded by the darkness. So the person who says he's in the light says he is a believer, but continually hates his brother and refuses to seek reconciliation. is still in darkness because the darkness has blinded him. It's like they can't see clearly to obey the Bible. They can't see their need for obedience to God. Now how does that happen? How is it a person could be blinded and not see their need for reconciliation, for repentance, to make things right with with another person in the church? John is saying the person who hates his brother lacks the truth. The person in an ongoing pattern of refusal to get along with other believers is is not loving their brother. They're hating their brother. And John is saying this person who hates his brother lacks the truth. God's word, listen, God's word never separates our faith in Jesus from our practice, from our obedience. God's Word calls us to faith and obedience, to believe in Jesus Christ and obey Him. The two should be going hand in hand for true followers of Jesus Christ, and joyfully so, even though we we struggle 
and we deal with temptation and sin, we ought to be taking steps to obey if we're truly in Christ. And while believers are not perfect, there will be evidence of a true believer's faith in their practice, showing itself in their obedience to God's word, the truth. That's just what we learned back in verse 4. If you go back a few verses, look at verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John is not letting up, is he? That was powerful in verse 4, and now we get to verses 9 through 11, and this is powerful. The person who has not confessed their sin and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will not have the truth at work in them. They will not have the resources that they need to learn to love like Jesus. And the outcome will be a life lived in darkness, which results in disobedience, which results in hate. That's the nature of the one who lives in darkness, separated from the power of God's truth, God's Word at work in you. You and I need the Word of God to do its work in us. We need the Word of God, the sharp two-edged sword of the Word, to do heart surgery in our lives. But an unbeliever is blinded because Satan is working overtime to keep them from seeing the truth. Says Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you know Jesus, if you see Jesus, you're going to see that you need to change to learn to love like Jesus. But unbelievers are blinded because they don't have the light of Christ in them and Satan is working to keep them that way. So, so those who are not in the light practice sin. It's the natural outcome of their place as unbelievers trapped in darkness. That natural outcome is also hate toward others, not love. We're not stopping here though. There's light. There's hope. What's the remedy? There's a remedy. What is the remedy? What's the remedy for this? What can we do to help bring the light to those who are blinded? And what can you do to get the light into your own life if you realize this describes you? We saw the remedy back in verse 5. Back to verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The remedy is Jesus Christ our Lord. The remedy is to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, for the cleansing of your soul, to make you new, to empower you, to walk in obedience to Him as you open the Word and pour it into your life. The remedy for people who are blinded by the darkness of sin, and this is a message for those, you're sitting here going, yeah, I, I, I am a follower of Jesus. This is identifying for me. that Yeah, I'm a true follower of Jesus. The remedy for people that we look to and think, boy, they need Christ. The remedy for us is to preach the gospel. 
They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And and our lives should do that. The lives of, of the people of First Baptist Church should preach the gospel. And God will give doors of opportunity that he will open for us to speak the truth of the gospel. And we should be ready to do that and willing to do that. And it's as simple as just telling people about Jesus and what he has done. Let the truth of the scriptures speak. The word of truth is powerful to bring sinners to salvation. God draws sinners to himself by the preaching and teaching and proclamation of the good news. We don't need to apologize for the truth of the gospel, even though it might offend some. The remedy for people who are blinded by the darkness of sin is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. And they need to believe the gospel. And look at what happens when the gospel is preached and believed in. That's back in verse 6. Back up again, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God shines the light in your heart, into your life, so that you see the the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and you see your need to be obedient to his word. God shines the light of truth into our hearts. He pours it in generously. And he changes our hearts in the process. God doesn't say, Believe in my son, but first do these things you need to change, and here's how you need to change. And then once you've done ch- you're done changing, then believe and I'll save you. God doesn't say that. God says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But he doesn't leave you the way you were. He gives you his word and he gives you a spirit to help you change day by day. And, and I hope that this is a church filled with people who are not staying the same. That we're changing day by day as we submit to God's word and the work of his spirit. To be in the light is to be learning to love like Jesus loves. And John says that if you continually hate people, you are a part, who are a part of the family of God. If you continually find yourself unable to forgive someone in the church, you're likely not in the light. Now, please don't hear me saying that it's okay to hate people who are outside of the church. I don't know if you've noticed this. I've been talking about people in the church. It's not okay to hate people outside the church. The Bible teaches against that also. But what John is making a point here is that you want to know whether you're in the faith or not? Look around. Look at the family of God. Do you love each other? Are you willing to go out of your way to make sure that your relationship with someone else is right between you and God? Are you doing as much as you can, as much as it depends upon you to be at peace with all men? So this is not to suggest that we're allowed to hate people outside the church, but, but the idea here that John is making and the idea that we're, we're being taught in the, in the Scriptures is that, that there's a powerful, a powerful example at work in the life of the church. If people who are in the church cannot love each other, 
That is a glaring cause for concern. And guess who's going to notice? The world around us. The community that we serve in. The community that we live in. Guess who's going to notice? The people that we rub shoulders with every day are going to see. You guys can't stand each other. Why are you trying to tell me about some so-called good news? Because that seems like it's not working for you. Right? This is a challenge. And this is one that we ought never just cash in and say, well, we've reached that point of maturity, we're never going to have to deal with this again. This is going to be something that the church needs to deal with until the Lord returns or calls us home. We need to be on guard. Because Satan would love to destroy our testimony in this community for Jesus Christ by by allowing our relationships to fester and, and be always constantly adverse and difficult where we're a bunch of people who have just kind of learned to, to be in the same place, but we, but we can't stand each other. I want you to know, I don't have anything in mind here. I don't have any relationship that I'm thinking about in particular. I just know, I know my own life, and I know that a, a church filled with people is going to have challenges like this. Is there anybody in your life that you can think of, a part of the church, who, who you have refused to forgive? Maybe you feel like they've offended you or hurt you and, you, and you're refusing. Maybe it's something that you could overlook. You could choose to overlook, and you could serve alongside them and love them, and yet you just said, no, I just give up. I'm just going to pretend they're not here. There's a glaring cause for concern in the church when there are unresolved relationships that are broken and hindered. And the message of Jesus Christ will be hindered in our presence and in this community. And it will be our fault. So what will be the evidence from the life of the one who is a believer? I've shared with you the evidence in the life of the one who is not a believer. I told you there were two kinds of evidence. What's the evidence from the life of the one who is a believer? Well, it's just the opposite of hate, isn't it? It's right here. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10. It's love. Verse 10, look at it again. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Hear that. There is security. There is safety. There is stability in being obedient to God's Word in loving one another. Even when it's really hard. Even when it means we need to risk being embarrassed to mend some fences. Swallowing our pride to settle our differences. The evidence... And overriding characteristic of a true believer must be love. John says it this way in 2 John verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And this is love. 
We take steps to obey God's word. And that means that wisdom of God's word brings life to our relationships. It brings light and truth to our hard hearts when we might say, well, I'd rather just not deal with that. It convicts us and we say, you know what? You know, I'm going to swallow my pride in this. I need to go to that person and talk to them about what's going on between us. And we need to get this right before God so that we can be a good testimony to the world. And guess what? There's joy that comes with that. God is gracious to give you his joy and peace when you obey his word. How does a true believer in Jesus learn to love? Believers learn to love by abiding in and walking in the light. You need the truth. That's why I started this morning by saying, do you have a Bible? Open it. Bring your Bibles. Take a Bible. Read God's Word. You need to walk in the light. You need the light of truth illuminating for you the way you ought to live and how you mend your relationships when they're broken. The believer who walks in the light, the one who loves his brother, John says, is guarded from stumbling. Don't you want to be secure day by day in your faith as you walk with Christ from being tempted to stray and and turn from the fellowship of the church? You'll be guarded from stumbling. That's in verse 10. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. The one who is learning to love. The true believer in and follower of Jesus is guarded in that they will not be tempted to fall away from the fellowship of the church. They will not be tempted to turn their back on a brother or sister in Christ because they got offended about something that could have been settled. They're guarded by the light that's in them. The believer has the light of Christ working in them as they take up the word of truth. The Holy Spirit illuminates and helps them practice Obedience to the truth of the Word of God. The light and life of Jesus that takes the Word of God when the believer reads it and listens to it being proclaimed and preached and taught and then yields to that truth and obeys that truth. That believer grows and matures in Christ and their heart and their mind is guarded from falling away from the fellowship that God intends for us to have between other believers. We need each other. And yet when we, when we refuse to, to settle our differences or, or settle to overlook an offense, we free, refuse to do that, there's a broken fellowship. And there's an introduction of weakness into the fellowship and there's the potential for great harm. So how can we know we're a part of God's family? We're going to skip ahead for a moment. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. How can we know we're part of God's family? 1 John 3 verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John is giving us a very clear contrast between the Christian community and the world, those who are without faith in Christ. Christians are ruled by love for one another because they're ruled by the love of Christ for them. 
But unbelievers are ruled by hate because they can only think about themselves and they're trapped in the darkness of sin. Christians don't stay as they were. The light of truth changes them, but unbelievers cannot change because they're still in darkness. They're spiritually dead. Christians are abiding in the light and the life of Jesus and have no cause for stumbling, but unbelievers are abiding in the darkness of sin and death and cannot see the way to love and will only hate as a result. And sadly, as the Bible makes plain, there are many who will take the path to death and hate and destruction. As Matthew's Gospel warns in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's kind of a sad commentary on the day that we live in, isn't it? It seems like so, so few put their faith in Jesus Christ. But the believer in Jesus who is growing, growing in their fellowship with God, will be growing also in their fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. The evidence to you will be clear in your own life if you will be honest and take a look. And when we're growing in our fellowship with one another, consider this. Consider that our testimony to the community where God has placed us to be bearers of light and truth, consider that we will have a powerful testimony. We will be united, truly united, in the bond of peace that we have through the peace that's ours in Jesus Christ. And the result of our unity with one another because of our unity with Christ and our willingness to do serious work over our differences when we have them and mending our relationships when they're torn because of Christ will be powerful. Our witness will be powerful. And the world that is blindly treading the broad path to destruction will have an opportunity to see Christ at work in us. And as we pray that God opens the eyes of sinners and softens the heart of sinners to see and believe, He will use us to be a testimony of that light, of that good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I call you back to these words from John's gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this, hear this, by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.